0: The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text the nextreel to 500500 500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright and I'm Andy Nelson. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog, and you can become part of our Discord community. Learn more about the show and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com.
1: So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Um, okay, so let me tell you, uh, first of all, and this relates to my trailer oh mm-hmm. okay foreshadowing that's what I'm doing right now is foreshadowing it's what we call that in the trades mm. ceramic knives Andy in the kitchen I
0: have one what do you think of them I think it's pretty slick
1: bananas how sharp those things are
0: mm. yes Yeah. sharper than a banana I'm
1: still pretty excited about my ceramic knife <laughs>
0: <laughs> as you should be it's
1: like every day it's like a new sunrise awakening uh, with my <laughs> ceramic knife I just want to cut something and I do this thing from this class, you know, this the class I took, the knife class. I told you that, right?
0: No, I didn't know you are in a oh, knife class. Is it, no, are you no, throwing I, knives? No. Knives? <laughs> what do you do in a knife class? Ceramic
1: knives. And the, yeah, you just sh- 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 shatter. <laughs> they just shatter <laughs> the wall. <laughs> it's more of an anger management course than an actual... <laughs> no, it's culinary... Anger management
0: with knives. <laughs> hmm. What could go wrong there? <laughs>
1: Uh, yes. (laughs) Somebody didn't read the actuarials on that. (laughs) Uh, No, it was a a culinary uh, knife skills class. Okay. And you know what? I've been doing it wrong. I've been, I have literally been doing it wrong all these years. Cutting, manipulating the knife, how to cut. Now I know how to julienne, how to chiffonade. You name it, I can cut it. I know how to hold the knife. You're supposed to hold the knife right at the bolster. You're not supposed to extend your index finger. That's ridiculous. Only chumps do that. You're supposed to hold right at the bolster, at the balance point of the knife, where the handle meets the blade. Do you know all this stuff?
0: This is fascinating. That's I why didn't people, know any That's of why
1: it. people tune into this show.
0: That's this <laughs> is it. Right <laughs> here, folks.
1: Um, Cooking with Pete. I have this like laundry list of things I need to cover with you. Oh, good. I have one more. There's another. Actually, I have two more things. Can I go, or do you have a turn? Do it. All right. I finally saw Minions. This was another on my list of vacation films that I needed to catch up on. I took the kids. You've okay. S- you've seen it, yeah. Yep. It was fantastic. Yeah. I, I think oh, you're please. giving it a little
0: too much credit. <laughs> we <but. laughs> had a
1: blast, and you know what it was? It was that it was uh in the spirit of great slapstick. Right? As serious and as you know, highbrow as one might get in slapstick. I had a blast uh just watching this because it was so easy for me to go back to you know some classic classic you know silent films and see how they do this. I think when you take away language it it just makes it a really delightful experience and I had a blast. So well good. And you're a buzzkill. Then you, no, hate, you I, hate... I enjoy
0: those guys quite a bit. I just think the story was pretty garbage. But oh, those, please those garbage. guys watching those guys was pretty enjoyable.
1: Who cares about the story? Please <laughs> I uh, I I actually really uh, I I adored the story all the way up until they met uh yes what's her name and that yes. just then it like it was it just that, yeah. that exactly yeah that's uh, but, that,
0: that's exactly where the story yeah that's where it just falls off the me. rails yeah. yeah
1: okay my final thing i found in my treasure trove of things that my dad has given me and Probably because he can't do anything with them anymore, and now I can't do anything with them. I found three, uh, early <laughs> film, uh, film reels, right? Oh. These early, I um, sixteen millimeter, no, super eight, super eight okay. film reels. Uh, of get a load of this monster from a prehistoric planet with terrible destructive powers. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mighty Mouse. Eight millimeter home movies, a Terry to- Terrytoons uh, mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. and this is the one I know you you will want to get take off my hands immediately. The original Brer Rabbit and the Tar Baby from Song nice. of the South, just that segment. So, because I know you celebrate um, incredibly offensive racist racist lore in film, that you would want that.
0: Well, actually. <laughs> The animated segments are not the part that's a problem in that film. <laughs> it's the rest of the film.
1: You're right. You're right. The uh, The thing is, this is what I need your advice on. I don't know what to do with these things. I can't use them. I can't play them. Should I keep them just for uh, you know collector's value? Is
0: there any value to these things? I mean,
1: they're in nah. pristine condition, these little cartoons.
0: Probably not. You could sell them on, not on eBay, but whatever the new eBay is. <laughs> the new eBay is.
1: So when we figure that out.
0: Yeah, because, you know, eBay turned into a place where you have to, like, have a store there, and it's, and you don't really auction things anymore. It's not eBay anymore. And it's, it's... Craigslist. No, it's not Craigslist. Oh, if, if my wife were around, I'd ask her what it is. She knows what this new site is. Or even better. And...
1: Here's, here's the thing. It is even better. If anybody in our audience wants some old sixteen mil- or 8mm Super 8 film reels, I will send them to you.
0: Even better, Pete?
1: Pony prize! Oh, Andy! (laughs) Andy! Oh, that's so great! How did... (laughs) This is what the pony prize was meant for! (laughs) I am so dumb, Andy! Brilliant!
0: And if you don't have a way to watch it, it works perfectly to wrap around a Christmas tree. (laughs) Or decorate at a birthday party! (laughs) So, so we'll see. If
1: somebody comes out of the woodwork and says, wait, no, don't give them away as a pony. I will pay for them. They're worth millions. I'll take the millions. Otherwise, yes. somebody's getting this with for a for the pony. Hear, hear. Oh, that's awesome. Fantastic. You got anything? You got any stories?
0: You know what I watched? What? Limitless.
1: Had you never seen it?
0: No, I had never seen it. It looked. I didn't think it looked very good, but... Chad, uh, one of our film board uh, periodic attendees, uh, told me to watch it, and he said it was was really good, and I watched it, and I I kind of really loved it.
1: Oh, yeah. I I really was
0: surprised. I was like, God, I thought this looked horrible, but I had a great time watching that, so. Oh,
1: what a relief. I'm so glad to hear you say that.
0: Yes, we can be friends still. Well, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, our our relationship is on a razor's edge.
0: Uh, Yes, it is
1: um i uh i i actually really enjoyed it and i i but i haven't watched the tv show you know there's a spinoff
0: right i did know that but i have not watched that either
1: i don't know has it even started yet or is it just was it just announced i don't even I, know i'm not sure it's not that that's not a man i'm so glad you uh enjoyed that film i had a blast in that movie i loved it so yeah a lot of fun anyway, yeah a lot of fun uh we have a blot spot from we do have a blot last spot. week uh would you like to do the honors sir
0: You bet I would. You guys covered The Deer Hunter extremely well. Thank you, Ben. We appreciate that. I agree that the biggest issue is just the length of the film, particularly in Act 1. The acting performances were stellar, and the varying impact of the war on those three guys was intense. I just needed that first hour to go by quicker. I can definitely see why this is a critically acclaimed film and Oscar winner, but I doubt I'll ever watch it again. (laughs) Your rank, 121 out of 198. My rank, 139 out of 198.
1: That's pretty close.
0: Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, that's
1: pretty close. I, um, you know, it was interesting. Got some mixed comments on Facebook off, uh, off uh, out of that first hour comment in, in particular. And uh, it was funny just to see the split. People who just loved the first hour, uh, loved that it really built up that, the the you know, the emotional connection we have with these characters as they go off to war uh, and people who agreed with us. So um, I, I think it's funny because I am, this is one of those, the gift of perspective. I am so cemented. In my belief that that first hour is way too long, um, and I can't seem to see it any other way. I need to cut it. I want to edit the film myself.
0: I see the point. Um, I like. I, I totally can understand that. But and and maybe if I'm in the right mood, like if I'm in a yee sort of mood, <laughs> if I can sit down and really take that wedding in and just revel in it. But uh, not this time. <laughs> yeah. No.
1: Not this time uh i think uh, i think that's it for the old business shall we tell the people where we're from where are we from this is the next reel everybody i'm pete wright and that there is andy nelson hello folks And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, the second film in our Meryl Streep series with Robert Benton's 1979 film Kramer vs. Kramer... Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at TheNextReel.com, subscribe on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at TheNextReel. And if you agree that tonight's film is the second worst comedy in Meryl Streep's catalog, you should head over to Instagram.com slash TheNextReel and play The NextReels Instagram hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag guess the movie challenge. Andy, uh, I-, I believe that our dear friend uh, Stephen is off to Iceland, which is apparently someplace that is really easy to get to when you live in Scotland. Uh, it seems far less daunting when I think of that than it is uh, to get to from my house. Uh, and so uh, you will be uh, taking the reins and filling in the old it's probably
0: yourself. It's probably a shorter trip than from my house to your house.
1: <laughs> oh, that's sad.
0: It is sad. Uh, yes, uh, congratulations to Fegfi, I think. F E G F I. Uh, out of the gate, uh, I shouldn't say out of the gate, but out of the gate. Fagfee, this is Fagfee's first time playing on the uh, Instagram uh, Guess the Movie Challenge. So congratulations, Fagfee. Yes, um, you did need six guesses to actually figure out, and uh, seven pictures to figure out what this movie was, but it was The Man from Laramie, the 1955 Anthony Mann film with James Stewart in it. it took a lot of guesses. There were a lot of people playing this round trying to figure out what the heck this Western was. Nice. And it was all over the place, uh, from recent Westerns to old Westerns. And finally, uh, on the last day, Fagpi was able to figure it out. It did take a, a nice close up of uh, Jimmy Stewart to figure it out, but congratulations to Fegby, You are now entered to win the 2015 Pony Prize. I
1: say this and I mean it. Well played. Mm -hmm. Andy it's time let's do trailers I am I can't believe it and I think it's because you know it was I was gone I missed this this trailer came out two weeks ago uh and I missed it I can't believe it because I'm really excited about it are you ready can you guess what it is
0: I'm super excited. I, it must involve knives.
1: It does. It does. Can you guess even off of that? Do you want to even give it a shot? And it involves. There's even more foreshadowing from earlier in the show, and you did it. I did.
0: It, yes. I, could it be? Could it be Bradley Cooper's new cooking movie? Yes, it is. It's the cooking movie. It's burnt. The, sp- oh. the Spiritual sequel to Chef. <laughs>
1: It's exactly right, Andy. I'm so excited about this movie. <laughs> I saw the trailer and I just got giddy. I love movies that take place in the kitchen. I did. I loved Chef. I love anything that takes place in the kitchen. I'm not big on the cooking competition shows, no. uh, but uh, I, man, I am a big fan of the cooking almost as much. And let me tell you, it was it was difficult for me to choose between Burnt and the Scouts uh, Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Uh, because you know I also love zombies. So this was oh, really yes. difficult uh for me to choose. <laughs> but I ended up going with this one because I think Bradley Cooper looks great. Uh I mean, who are we kidding? The dude wants to uh you know run a uh a restaurant that makes you be sick with longing. Uh mm. I, I just I just love it. And here's even better. I I I didn't couldn't place uh, John Wells right off the top of my head. I mean, I knew him, I knew him, I knew the name. It was really, really, uh, He was just right there. Uh, but uh, come to find out. And I, I, he is the writer behind many of my favorite episodes of ER and the West wing. Uh, he, he did um, uh, the company men. Um, uh, and uh, he's just, he's been around for a long, long time. He, I, I just think he's uh, terrific. And so I think this could be a really, really exciting film
0: and he just did august osage county oh that's right well. that's exactly
1: right yes he did yeah. so yeah. uh but even better uh in terms of the cast in addition to bradley cooper we have sandy miller and our new uh best friend uh alicia vikander
0: I we're talking right about
1: now. her everywhere right now um uh, lily james uma thurman emma thompson uma and emma
0: what whoa uma emma and Where, you know what else Omar. where's dave letterman when we need him <laughs>
1: Uma Uma Emma Omar Sai, Matthew rise uh Sarah Green, Richard Rankin, Chelsea Lee. I mean it's it's a, a great cast of chefs and and cooking people and I I just uh I look forward to it. Are you excited about this one? As excited I as I am? And, and
0: Daniel Brule. You didn't say Daniel. I
1: didn't even say Daniel Bruhl, I'm an idiot.
0: It's a great cast. Um, and Stephen Knight is the uh, screenwriter on this. Um, we love Stephen Knight. We I am always really excited do. with Stephen Knight projects. So this is definitely what I'm excited for. I think it looks fantastic. And count me in.
1: Yes. 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 Oh, that they're, Daniel Brühl. They're, they're, he's they're in...
0: cooking up another good one yeah. here, Pete.
1: <laughs> you know where uh, that Daniel Brühl is from?
0: Uh, you know where he's from?
1: No, Spain. Barcelona. Ah, Barcelona. And my Spanish is impeccable.
0: <laughs> you should move there. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be closer to Iceland. <laughs>
1: oh, dear. Uh, let me see. Uh, 23rd, October 2015 in the USA. Uh, but it looks like it starts, uh, I think, the, the earliest release, I think, is in Italy. Uh, Singapore, October 15th. So but October 15th, it doesn't get to Sweden, I'm afraid, until December 4th and I'm very mm. sorry about that.
0: Indeed, yeah. indeed. The uh it's interesting it's opening uh, in October because it's really not a good October movie for Halloween. But you know what is? What? My movie. <laughs> <laughs> can I just, can My... I just say
1: let me just add because you mentioned the October release thing in in uh Brazil, Chile and the Netherlands. That's when you want to go see Burnt. It opens November 26th, and you could celebrate the <laughs> U.S. Thanksgiving. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that is the appropriate holiday to celebrate, but, uh, but only if you're probably an expat living in one of those three countries. Right. right. It's a great expat movie. That <laughs> should totally be the tag.
0: It's a great expat <laughs> oh, movie.
1: Okay, back to your movie. I'm so sorry.
0: That's okay. I know you're just trying to get away from my movie because I hate absolutely <laughs> refuse to watch it. Uh, my trailer is for the terrifying looking film The Witch, which uh, is kind of a film that takes place in kind of, it's like the Salem Witch Trials era, you know, early America. And it's this, this family who it looks like for, I don't know, religious reasons or something, they leave town and go kind of create their own little farm area away from town and it looks like just awful things come from there it's uh there's witchcraft black magic possession all sorts of things happen as this family starts to unravel and tries to figure out what the heck is going on it looks just terrifying it looks creepy everything about it the period the the cast everything just works really well to create a mood that is one of complete horror and fright. And I can't wait. I think it looks like a fantastic, fun, dark film to watch. Um, This was a Sundance hit, I believe. Robert Eggers directed it. He um, is mostly known as a kind of a production designer for a lot of short sorts of projects. And uh, this is his first uh, directorial film. So I'm curious to see how this one does and what sort of play it ends up getting. But I will say it looks flippin' freaky.
1: It looks horrible. It looks just, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's awful. There is, uh, it's, just... and it's so, you know, and when they, when they start putting like the, the, the quotes, the quips up on the screen, you know, and there are things like, it makes me feel uncomfortable like, as if I shouldn't be seeing these things. <laughs> uh, i will say one of the members of the cast is a man named uh, julian richings who is just a scary looking dude like he he i'm sure he's very nice he looks scary he looks like he is just iconic and scary and you you may know julian richings if you're a fan as i am and you may find this strange i'm a big fan of cube
0: oh i love cube yeah he was in hack. except for the ending but yeah he was wasn't he the guy in the very first part
1: alderson yeah, sliced, don't, you, don't wanna, you don't want to you yeah. don't want to be that guy, but no. uh, and he, so he's the guy. Like, uh, yeah, he's you. That's how you know him because he was prominent in the trailer. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, anyhow, I I don't like this pick of yours, and uh, but I respect your right to pick it. How's that?
0: I think that's fantastic. I think that Tommy and I might have our own little October <laughs> film board. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sub show. Oh, it's not. It'll be film board it, after dark.
1: And you know what's funny? It's like there's nothing in the trailer that is explicitly horrifying, but they do an amazing job. I mean, in terms of the artistry of the tra- trailer, an amazing job of convincing you that what's going on just between the clips that you're seeing is the worst thing ever.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, there's a reason Robert Eggers won the directing award at Sundance. They 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 said to a director who demonstrated a consistent and excellently rendered vision creating a story that was hauntingly detailed as it was masterfully executed. So. Yeah, mm. Looks looks good, looks creepy. Can't wait to see it. <laughs> All Very right. Exciting. All right. Now I will say, considering this is supposed to be, uh, it's perfect for a Halloween movie. It doesn't have a release date yet. It's kind of, uh, it's just kind of still going through the the uh, cycle of film festivals. September 2015, it'll be playing up at uh, Toronto International Film Festival, and it's not slated for USA release until next year, folks. What's going on? Wow, that's horrible. Give it to us at Halloween; it'd be perfect. That's all I have to say about that.
1: Miss it would. You'd be right. Hey Pete. Yeah.
0: I'm leaving you. All right, a little closer together. Come on, smile. That's it. Hold it. Isn't it terrific? Whoa.
2: Columbia Pictures presents Dustin Hoffman and Merrill Street in Kramer versus Kramer. I just gotta call the office before they go. Joe, you're gonna be real proud of me. I'm leaving you. Was this some kind of joke? Did you know that all the best chefs are men? You dropped some shell in there. Oh, uh, it's all right. You like your French toast crunchy, don't you? <laughs> no, Mommy always buys the kind with the orange circles on it. I want my son.
0: You can't have him. What makes you so sure he doesn't want me?
2: You're late. I'm not that late, though. I'm only 20 minutes.
0: All the other mothers were there before you.
2: It will never happen again, okay?
0: I'm not saying he doesn't need his father, but I really believe he needs me more than his mother. <gasps>
2: My wife says that she loves Billy, and I believe she does. But I'd like to know what law is it that says that a woman is a better parent simply by virtue of her sex? How does it feel? Good. Okay, keep going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep going. That's
0: terrific. I love you, Billy. Kramer versus Kramer.
1: All right, Andy, we've got this. 1979, Kramer v. Kramer, uh, directed by Robert Benton, written by, as adapted uh, by Robert Benton, adapted from the book by Avery Corman, stars mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman, mostly Dustin Hoffman, and then people that interact with Dustin Hoffman, uh, <laughs> Meryl Streep, uh, Jane Alexander, Justin Henry, Howard Duff, George Coe, um uh, it's a it's a it's a nice cast.
0: Yeah. Did you say Joe Beth Williams?
1: Oh Joe Beth Williams <laughs> <I loved laughs> Can't forget so Joe Beth much. Williams. <laughs> yes. I'll go out to dinner with you. She is uh delightful, you know. Um and it's funny that Meryl Streep was originally supposed to have the Joe Beth Williams role. Do you know that?
0: <laughs> I did, I did. Very interesting.
1: That would have been a different uh a different role
0: for her. It would have, it would have. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have gotten an Oscar nomination for it. <laughs> Just going out of the limb there. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> uh, what did you think of Kramer versus Kramer? And I think, you know, in the context of coming off of her performance, uh, her brief performance in uh, Deer Hunter last week, uh, here we are the next year, and she is, um, she is uh, Joanna Kramer. She leaves her husband, Ted Kramer, in the first three minutes of the movie. That's how we start, is I'm leaving you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it, you know, I felt very differently watching this film as a, a father, uh, and an adult. than I did when I first and, and, saw it uh, and a husband and, oh yes,
0: I don't think I had seen this since college.
1: Yeah, I, that's exactly when I last saw it and I did not appreciate it at all.
0: I don't think I did either. I, I appreciated it a little bit cause my parents are divorced. So I, I had some appreciation, of how seeing what how they old were, doing were they?
1: There. How old were you when they got a divorce?
0: I was in third grade. So okay, so you a little bit eight. older than Billy. Yeah, I was eight, so just yeah. slightly older than Billy.
1: How did it play out? Did it play out the same way? Uh, same way it did for Old Ted and Joanna.
0: <laughs> it wasn't quite. It didn't quite go this way. <laughs> I didn't have a parent who just disappeared for fifteen months. No. <laughs> uh,
1: that's pretty grim. Yes. I think that's another reason I didn't, I I didn't appreciate it also because uh, my parents were not uh, divorced or are not divorced. And so uh, I just, I I don't think I got it. And I didn't understand the grief that, um, that sort of unfurls in it. And now that I'm, uh, you know, I've got the family and the children, I, man, it really hit home. And what was super funny though, is my kids who are, you know, older than Billy, but, you know, not like old teenagers or in college, they're still young. They were in the room while I was was watching it on my iPad and they were in the room kind of listening to it and watching it. And I asked them to weigh in, you know, what would you think? You know, who would you, who would you want to stay with if this happened? You know what they said? Mom. Mom. Like what? (laughs) Have you not been experiencing this with me? Are you insane? (laughs) I, I, you know, I feel like I don't want to dock your allowance, but I may have to on principle. <laughs> have you seen this guy? And, and you know what my daughter says, but he burned the French toast. <laughs> That's what you're basing this on? Wow. All right.
0: That's pretty funny. <laughs>
1: I've been talking too long. So tell me, how did it stand up for you?
0: Uh, this film really uh, it it kind of broke me a little bit. <laughs> it was really it was really just a, a I mean it was a beautiful film. I I really loved this movie. I, I truly just thought it was just a incredible uh, piece dealing with amazing characters, told honestly, powerfully. Um, it's just it's just just such a devastating ending. It's just such a kick in the teeth as you know his lawyers just like yeah they they went with the mother right down the line and just like uh, just like rips you apart you know i just i i never want to have to go through anything like this it's just an awful sort of situation to ever have to go through with somebody that you love or at least loved and to fight over someone that you do love and want to keep in your life and it's just it's just a horror horrible situation to have to see and and it's such a an interesting film. The way they play these two characters, uh, the parents, off of each other, uh, Ted and Joanna, and and how they, um, um, you go from just not respecting her at all and being just angry with her. I mean, it's really easy to side with Ted because we're with him for the duration of the film, um, and it's easy to kind of. Uh, see Joanna as the antagonistic force but toward the end there's those moments where you see those glimmers and you start kind of understanding things and and it's you can start seeing things from both perspectives and then it's just like oh what's the right decision and, and you just don't know and, and obviously you still want um, Billy to stay with Ted but it's just it does break your heart at the end when Joanna um, really kind of decides even though he's awarded to her that she decides to give him up after all. And it's just, it's, it's, it created an incredible feeling of joy and heartbreak all at the same time.
1: I, um, I agree with you. Um, my memory of it was that it was more of a, a story of litigation, right? For me, what stuck in my memory from the last time I saw it was that the movie was, you know, more than three quarters, them dealing with court, yeah. Um, and so the weight of the film, the first, I mean, it really is split kind of down the middle, right? The first 50 minutes, uh, is, it's the slice of life stuff. It's, it's, um, uh, um, uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman, Ted Kramer, learning how to balance all of this stuff, right? Learning how to balance work, learning how to balance the schedule and his son's schedule and try to keep everybody fed and happy. And, uh, it, it he. He does such a tremendous job of capturing those little day to day experiences of anger and frustration and joy and love, and uh, to go from his experience screaming at his at at you know joanna who had just left him when he's he kicks the pan and as there you know that kitchen sequence in the very beginning when he does burn the french toast to he's smiling and he's trying to put on a happy face and and my first thought was where is his sadness like where is his grief and uh, when it all came out as he kicks the the pan i you know that as you said that broke me like that 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 I felt like I got caught up to his angst and and anxiety and fear and frustration and anger and and it was just wonderful uh, that we get to watch him and Billy transform over the course of this film and that I think is an interesting thing when you, in terms of the protagonist you know the who is the transformational character in the film and I think every one of these characters goes through not a, an insignificant transformation and uh, I think that lends to, or that adds to so much of the complexity of the film, um, and, and the demands on these actors to be able to, to kind of pull that off convincingly, but you're right, man, it, it, it starts out small, it blows up right in the middle and it ends on such a tiny, intimate little bit of redemption and love and uh, grief. And, uh, it, but, but the intimacy between them, I think is ends up being really beautiful.
0: It does. And there are those moments in the courtroom where you see just the awfulness of divorce court as the the lawyers really are doing their job. I mean, they're digging into the dirt and, you know, they have their claws out and they're just hacking and slicing at the opponents. And it's painful to watch. And there's that awful scene where Ted's lawyer... Uh, Shaughnessy is uh, digging into Joanna, and I can't remember about what specifically, about. Uh, uh, but...
1: Oh, the failure speech. The, being a failure, yeah. and,
0: and, and Ted j- is just looking at her, and it's, it's like that incredible moment where they both are fighting for the right to have Billy live with them, but that is an amazing moment where... Their love for each other still is able to come out. His love for her, where he is like, no, no, no. And he's kind of, from his seat, he's he's gesturing to her, shaking his head, no, you weren't a bad mother. You were a great mother. And it really touched me that despite everything going on here, all of the pain and torment and this this fighting over their son, that he is still able to have that moment and say, you are, you are not a bad person, you are not a bad mother.
1: Yeah. And I think the the converse is true, too. When she's uh, when he takes the stand and her attorney is grilling him about the, you know, when when Billy falls and nearly loses his eye. And you see that look of complete betrayal on his face that he can't believe he's being grilled when it's a kid. Kids fall. They get cuts. Everything was fine. He sure he felt bad about it. But that betrayal that that was just a, a snippet of conversation in a coffee shop or in a restaurant. And she shared it with her attorney to have it used against him in in that way was just awful. And you could just feel the whole intensity for me is that these people have handed their lives and the decision about where their child is going to go to two attorneys that they're paying to be there and a, uh, a, you know, an elected or appointed, uh, you know, employee of the government, right? They're they're giving their child's future, the decision about him to a government employee. Uh, who's never lived in their house, who's never been there, who's just taking what is presented the way it is presented. And that is just diabolical. And I think if, you know, I think there is a lesson here, which is, boy, if you're going to get a divorce, go for mediation, because, wow, you don't want to see it get to court.
0: It's interesting. Dustin Hoffman talked about how he, like, between setups and stuff, he was just chatting with um the court stenographer who they had in the room who was a real court stenographer. Um they just she just knew what they were doing. So it made sense to hire a real stenographer to kind of do that. And he was just chatting with her and, and he's like, Oh so what what do you do? Do you do this sort of stuff? And she's like, Oh I did divorce court but I stopped doing it years ago. It's just, you know, too painful and it's just I couldn't be around all of that stuff. And he's like, Oh so what do you do now? She's like, I do a homicide <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, really? And she's like, yeah, it's it's so much better. Give me homicide any day of the week over divorce court. It's so much uh, less stress and pain. <laughs> it's like, wow. I think that opens your eyes for how awful divorce court can be.
1: Oh my goodness. That is, that really is. So that that was one statement that I walked out um, from. The other one that I think this film is, you know, sort of wearing on its sleeve and I, and obviously the book too, is that, you know, this is... The the divorce stuff is not the surprising stuff. Like d- divorce is is hard, and it's you know it, there's there's I don't know is there such a thing as an easy divorce? Um, it, I but really this is so much more of a story about gender roles. You know, and yeah. and the fact that like if you swap these characters and you have her keeping Billy and he walks out and, um, you know you know she is now having to balance her career and you know bring groceries to work and you know have wine spilled on the stuff that she's doing in the middle of the night and burns a french toast that's a that's definitely a dog bites man story and you know what we have here and i think in 1979 you know this was a much even more of a man bites dog uh, story the fact that we have you know the the dad who is forced to To do all these things, and the you know incredible sort of, I I think we are meant to believe the incredible sacrifices he makes and the incredible you know challenge he has of balancing work. And then when he loses his job over trying to be you know a good father, um, you know we we see so clearly the pain that some of our cultural choices end up making on us. And I think he he uh, and Benton end up delivering that message really, really well. I don't think it comes off as saccharine. I don't think it comes off as political. I think it just comes off as painful.
0: It really does. It's it's an interesting uh, glimpse into how people deal with things and just kind of societal expectations of things. One thing that really struck me is when after Billy falls and gashes his face um, and Ted runs him, I mean, blocks, Mm -hmm. like carrying him, running down the street to an emergency room. And he's in there and the doctor is like, okay, here, you can just go wait in here. We don't need you anymore. And it just is like, are you kidding me? You know, I'm the dad. I'm going to be with my son. It's just, it's such a strange perspective back then that, you know, the mom would be the one who would stay with the sick kid. The dad would just go to the waiting room and not worry about it. And to see that that um, Ted was actively going to be doing everything he could to be a good father was really touching. And I think it was it was nice to see him make all the changes and and really essentially take on the dad and mom roles quite effectively to just do everything to take care of uh, of his son. And it was it it. Ended up creating just a beautiful, touching relationship as you watch them evolve over that first hour of the film before uh, Joanna enters their lives again.
1: Yeah, and you know, it was interesting. I found myself frustrated at one point thinking, gosh, I, you know, I'm, I'm missing Meryl Streep, right? I, I want Joanna to be, I want to see what's going on in her life. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of structural choice to not uh, give us any of California. Um, and and that was about twenty minutes into the film, and it, it or was,
0: to or to not even see a postcard arrive. We find out later right. that postcards had arrived, but we yeah. didn't know anything.
1: And and really, they hide, they obscure the time passing, and and I'm not sure why that is. That was one of those things that that really stuck out to me when we come to terms with the fact that she's been gone for fifteen months. Um, I I had no idea until they said it. Uh, you know, when they first met that they had, you know, I knew time was passing. I knew he was getting better at this stuff, but but that she was gone for, for so long when she came back. And um, that was a surprise to me. But I think she needed to just disappear. And in, in hindsight, I, I think she needed to be gone um, for us to really get to know the, the, you know, the struggle of his transformation, right? How hard it is for him to change and learn to balance those things and how hard it is for Billy to adapt to just you know having a single parent home and to really kind of fall in love with his dad again um you know and and come to terms with the fact that you know and I you know mom left but it's not because she doesn't love me and and you know you get to see that so
0: there's a reason that um little 7 year old Justin Henry was nominated for an Oscar i mean he really was incredibly honest in in everything that he did, and um, he was a kid. He didn't feel like a kid acting. He felt he felt like a an actual son of these two people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the hospital scene you bring up was the one that where I I made that note too, which was you know when when Hoffman was holding his head. Uh, and you know, they did that side shot and they, he was laying down, he's holding his head and you see the doctor kind of on the other end doing the stitches, but watching him react to every time the needle hit his skin was, uh, really, uh, it it was incredibly touching and terrifying and it just pulled all the heartstrings, the dad heartstrings for me.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely.
1: Um, and Justin, you know, since we're on Justin Henry, he has, he's done a little bit, he's got some. Other credits that he's uh, known for? Anything that really stands out to you uh, in terms of where he went from here?
0: Well, I think, um, you know, Sixteen Candles is probably the big one. He's still, uh, still
1: pretty young. with still, that Yeah, out, yeah.
0: I, I think that was when he did um, most of his stuff. I mean, he's relatively young still. Um, he, he was the little brother in that. Nothing else that really stands out as anything that I've ever... Um, a lot of shorts yeah. and a lot
1: of uh you know it's a little tv uh he's got some yeah uh, i think he horror. he kind
0: of yeah he kind of uh he he after uh playing a, a number of these kind of small roles and stuff he went to college and uh, got a ba in psychology and uh and then he, it looks like he's just he co-founded the Slam Dunk Film Festival in 98, and he continues making occasional appearances in film and TV, but is the regional director of sales at VO since
1: 2009. Hmm. Well, uh, he nailed it as a kid in this film. It was really beautiful.
0: Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely uh, was impressed with pretty much every moment of him on screen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see the other, uh, cultural statement that I walked away with was the horrible commitments we make to our employers. Um, and you know, that scene where he's talking to his boss and he says, you know, you'll have me 110%. You'll have me 125%. You know, I'm, I have this totally under control and you can see he's nearly breaking down in tears. And this is of course the day after his wife leaves him that he's having this conversation and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in here. You asked me to lay it all out for you. I'm in here. I'm doing it. But out there on the other side of that door, you have me. I have this totally under control and of course that's terrible foreshadowing because you know he's not going to have it under control he's a disaster and uh, and and he ends up falling apart and you know at least to the point where his work performance does suffer and he loses his job and that becomes kind of a pivotal point of crisis in the film and it's also heartbreaking um, and uh, you know I I. I don't know. I'm. I feel truly blessed watching this movie that I have the flexibility that I do. It made me really reflect on uh, you know the old corporate gig and and uh, you know the pressure that I think is still on so many
0: people to it's, perform. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it, it's a very difficult place. And I mean, I have friends still to this day who uh, it, it it doesn't even have to be just single parents. I mean, really, anyone who is a parent and who's working. I absolutely. mean, there are. There are people who work who, um, whether their employers have kids or not, it seems to be employers who don't have kids, but they have expectations where, you know, you're working there and you are theirs uh, pretty much whenever they need you. Mm -hmm. And they don't have any expectations about, uh, you know, when you need to be home or anything like that. They just work, work, work. And it's, it's, uh, I I think it is just a detriment to um, familial situations. It really is very hard. And I think it's also just a detriment working that way to just a person (laughs) making a, uh, strong moves forward in life. I think it, it just mentally, I think it can, can be a, a bad thing to get wrapped into where all of a sudden, you know, your life has disappeared into this company and, and, you know, where are you 10 years later?
1: I think, you know, the other thing I wonder is how much of that experience is uniquely American. Um, oh yeah. yeah. You know, and I wonder if our, if our friends in Europe have that same sort of response to the film, to that particular commitment to work and the balance of work and life and, and personal professional. So that, uh, you know, I, I'd be interested in some thoughts on that. Definitely hit yeah. us up on Twitter. Absolutely. Um, okay. Um, let's see. I have one point that I'm going to hold because I know you're going to talk about this later. I'm going to hold it, but I'm really excited to bring it up. Oh, but I want to, I want to talk about it later. Okay. Uh, But that's, that was, uh, man, I'm excited about it. Okay. Uh, Okay. So let's talk uh, about uh, other members of the cast. We talk about uh, anything else about Mr. Hoffman.
0: Um, you know, uh, he was going through a divorce when he was making this and actually he didn't want to do the role, uh, because he was going through a divorce when they sent him the script and he met with, uh, Benton and, uh, Jaffe, uh, Stanley Jaffe, the producer. And, um, he's just like, I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to bring my personal life into this. I, it's too painful for me right now. And, uh, I don't I I don't think it will uh it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as honest because this isn't what I'm experiencing there's a lot of things that he was going through as he was dealing with this they kind of convinced him um to do it and they convinced him by agreeing to let him kind of help rework some of the scenes and everything and to kind of help. I I don't know if he helped, but just kind of look at some of the edit and stuff, which Benton had never, uh, Robert Benton, the director and screenwriter had never done before, but he let him do that. And they were able to kind of rewrite this character into something that, uh, Dustin felt was incredibly honest. And I feel it's an incredibly honest, uh, role that he did here. And uh, he created this amazing relationship with Justin, um, through all of this and it just a lot of the stuff like he and Justin kind of came up with that ice cream scene that was uh, done so well and I mean it meant you know additional lighting they had to change a bunch of stuff because that's not how the scene was uh, scheduled to to actually shoot. Um, so they had to relight it and of course delay the schedule and all that. but it ended up being a really strong scene and so you know, I just think that Dustin brings a lot to um, to films. I think he always brings a lot of honesty and this, I think really is just a strong example of that.
1: Absolutely. And his, you know, his ability to carry this and, uh, as a believable, uh, you know, father, I felt like he's a guy I would hang out with, you know what I mean? Like he's, he, this, this is a guy that I felt like I could personally connect with particularly in these more emotional scenes, standing around in his kitchen, um, you know, his conversation with Jane Alexander after the accident in the kitchen when she is weeping because she believes it's her fault. I mean, it was just an incredibly touching experience watching them together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, so he was nominated for Best Actor for this and won one of the litany of awards for this. Um, Meryl Streep.
0: Well, hold on. since you Since you brought the Oscar up, Mm -hmm. I was going to jump into Oscars all at once, but I may as well do this now.
1: Yeah, I'm going to pepper them out. We got to pepper them out. So,
0: okay, excellent. Well, so I didn't realize this, but back in 1974, Dustin had protested against the Oscars, um, saying that they were obscene, dirty, and no better than a beauty contest. And so I guess at the time, people were really curious as to how he was going to actually handle uh, winning if he did win. And he did. And and the first thing that he said, I guess, when he got to the stage, he looked at his Oscar and he said, he has no genitals and he's holding a sword. <laughs> <laughs> and so people were still trying to figure out where he was going to go with there. But then he was really, he really kind of um, spoke really honestly. And he said, I'm up here with mixed feelings. I've criticized the Academy before with reason. And everybody all of a sudden in the crowd got quiet. They said, I refuse to believe that I beat Jack Lemmon, that I beat Al Pacino, that I beat Peter Sellers. We are part of an artistic family. There are 60,000 actors in the Screen Actors Guild who don't work. You have to practice accents while you're driving a cab because when you're a broke actor, you can't write and you can't paint. Most actors don't work and a few of us are so lucky to have a chance. And to that artistic family that strives for excellence, none of you have ever lost. And I'm proud to share this with you and I thank you. And so he ended Well, that just chokes up
1: me up right there.
0: I know it's incredibly beautiful and and amazingly uh, grateful and and that wasn't you know all of his speech but he you know that was the part that really I think got the audience to kind of really um, get what he, why he was so upset I guess with the Oscars back in 1974 but you know very touching and well worth his win in this film
1: absolutely absolutely worth his win in this film all right now Meryl Streep. Uh, yes. She is the reason we have gathered here today. Uh, it is so nice to see her in this film. She is just uh, from the very—I mean, she dominates the screen. The from the the last opening credit, we get her face, and I think her face and the the very brief transition that her face goes through when she says uh, that she loves Billy encapsulates everything we are about to see in the entire film. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it is beautiful and sad and longing and tragic all at once. I think her performance is fantastic in this film. I deeply enjoyed uh, watching her. And as we said in the beginning, she wasn't supposed to play the Joanna role originally. She, um, uh, uh, and yet I am, I'm deeply relieved that she got it in watching it this round.
0: Well, she was involved when she was making this. She was involved in filming Manhattan with Woody Allen, and she was also doing um, uh, some plays in kind of a repertory theater in uh, New York. And they were actually nervous about offering her the role of Joanna because they're like, you can't do all of this stuff. And she's like, come on, I'm just in the beginning of the film and at the end of the film, there's a lot of time for me to do all this other stuff and get it done. And she did. She juggled it all and managed to make it work really well. Um, The thing about Meryl, in in this film is and, and it really it holds true for all of her films is no matter who the character is, she really looks at finding what it is in that character that she can um that that is good and, and that she can she can connect with. And Joanna um she really saw her as this woman who was just kind of mentally ill. She had this depression and she was really struggling. As much as she loved her son and wanted to be with him, she was just lost and her her kind of mental illness that she had um put her in a place where she just had to had to leave so that she could figure out who she was or she would have probably ended up killing herself. And it's it just I think it's it shows that somebody like Meryl Streep, she can really connect with a character and I think that's what good actors do no matter who the character is. They find the side of that character that they can really connect with to make that character uh, an honest, true character, and I think she does it brilliantly here.
1: Uh, it looks like originally uh, this part was supposed to be played by Kate Jackson, correct? Uh, one of the Charlie's Angels, and that's why she couldn't couldn't do it. Um, and that would have it would have been a very different role.
0: Yeah, it would have been really different. Yeah, I, Kate I, Jackson I... as Joanna, and then Meryl Streep. <laughs> Walking around As, naked in the house. Yes, <laughs> right.
1: Uh, that, that would have been very, very different. Um, how about uh, Jane Alexander?
0: Um, I really liked her in this. I, she's one of those actresses that's been in a lot of stuff, but just not a face that you instantly recognize. And I was looking at her credits. I'm like, oh, wow, she was in The Ring. Oh, she was in Terminator Salvation. She was in The Cider <laughs> House Rules. Like She's just in all sorts of stuff and tons of TV. I mean, she's one of those people that's just all over the place. And, um, but, I don't know, this role, like, watching her here, I just felt like, I mean, I feel like I'm just a broken record, but there's just so much honesty in her role as this uh, kind of friend who lives in the building, and I really was touched by their friendship that she and Ted had. Uh, and really watching it develop over the course of the film.
1: Well, and I think that's it. You know, we talk about the, the transformation of these characters over the course of the film. And, and she's another one that we don't think... I mean, she's just... She's sort of the supporting character. She's the friend. But she's she gets to be the friend... To both of these characters and it's it is such a wonderful i think testament to her ability to start out as the friend of joanna as the confidant as the person who's been who knows the story you know presumptively we we believe that she knows more than she says uh in the beginning at least when she you know comes up to see how um ted is doing the night of the of of her disappearance and yet, I think we, you know, over the course of their meetings in the park, they become closer and closer as friends. Ted and and, uh, um, and uh, Jane's character, oh my gosh, Mar- what's her name? Margaret. 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 Yeah. Uh, that you know, they end up becoming the closer of the two. And I think her divorce and her, you know, their shared experience, uh, even in in I think four really short kind of sequences. Uh, or scenes, we end up with a, a great understanding of who she is and why she is important in these people's lives as, as the neighbor. I think it's just fantastic. And another one where, um, you know, she was a uh, well-deserved nominee uh, for the uh, Best Supporting Oscar. And she was, so she was nominated against Meryl Streep mm-hmm. for Best Supporting Actress in, these, in this film. And obviously, Meryl Streep took this one.
0: Uh, yes, she did. Rightfully so, Margaret was or, or Jane Jane was great, but Meryl is the one who really deserved the Oscar here.
1: Yeah, I mean Jane was great, but she was definitely the supporting role. You know what I mean? I I don't know. Yeah. I I think the uh, I, I and this goes back to the conversation we have sometimes about the actors' credits. Like, why did Meryl Streep end up going against Jane Alexander in this film for Best Supporting Actress? You know, not was it is it a matter of time on screen that Meryl didn't get a Best Actress? That's um, uh,
0: yeah, I, I mean, if if anything, it has to be that because she's, she's not gone in it very much. Entire entire yeah. half of the film, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, okay. And Justin Henry, we didn't mention he was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, and is still to this day the youngest actor to have been nominated for uh, an Oscar. The youngest. Uh, let's see, where are the the statistics is like the youngest actor to be nominated for. Um, any Oscar, the only actor to ever be nominated for an Oscar in the same decade of their birth, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so that was
1: 1979, and yeah. he was um, he was up against goodness. Um, it's funny we've actually mentioned his name. He was up against Mickey Rooney, uh, Frederick for- Mickey Rooney was Black Stallion, Frederick Forrest for The Rose, Robert Duvall for Apocalypse Now, and Melvin Douglas for being there. Yeah. And uh, And, it looks like Melvin Douglas won that one.
0: Melvin Douglas won. Melvin Douglas, uh, and I can't remember if we talked about this when we talked about being there, but Melvin Douglas um, refused to go to the Oscars because he was offended at having to compete against an (laughs) (laughs) eight-year-old.
1: Well, you know. (laughs)
0: But he, won, he so. won. So I wonder if he accepted the award after he won.
1: I don't know. I you didn't you don't have that speech memorized too cuz I don't have that you speech don't have memorized. That one? He wasn't
0: there. He he didn't show up. No. So there is no speech. So I didn't have uh, memorize. There you go. That's pretty funny.
1: Yeah. Um let's see. In terms of uh, other people we want to talk about, um who else is high on your list? For me it it'd be uh I you know Howard Duff I I think is John Shaughnessy who's the um, he is Ted's attorney um, yes and he's my goodness 135 credits the guy has been around at least he was around until the day he passed away in 1990 um, but man he's got a long list of accolades yeah
0: he was married to Ida Lupino at one time he was uh, hooked up with Ava Gardner for a while Gloria De Haven. Uh, I mean, he's one of those guys that was kind of uh, around, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed seeing him on screen. Here, he seemed like the sort of person who would be a divorce lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> that's
1: right. That's right. It was a treat. Uh, you, you know, the War Gods of Babylon. Um, my goodness, he's been he's been in some great ones. He's another one who's in my in my dad's catalog. You know, ah, uh, yeah. That, uh, yeah. and he's done a. Lot, he was in a lot of TV. Um, so he was a guy who, throughout the seventies, would show up on these things like Rockford Files and, and uh, you know, Police Story and and, uh, so Fantasy Island. And that's another one. I think everybody in this movie was in Fantasy Island. I even uh, <laughs> Justin Henry. Shortly after this right. one, he was in Fantasy Island. So, uh, who else for you?
0: Um, I, I think that pretty much covers it for the cast, but um, Robert Benton, a uh, director, I think, is worth mentioning. Um, an interesting director who definitely directs kind of smaller character sorts of films. Um, he had a couple before this, Bad Company and The Late Show. And then after this, uh, Still of the Night, which I, I think was kind of a Hitchcock ripoff flop with Meryl Streep and then places in the heart, which he won his third Oscar for. He won two Oscars for this. He won a screenwriting Oscar and then the uh, director Oscar places in the heart. He uh, won his Oscar there for, I believe it was for best uh, writing on that one. And then uh, he did, um, he kind of went downhill from there. Nadine, uh, Billy Bathgate, Nobody's Fool actually was pretty good with Paul Newman. Twilight didn't care for that one, and then he did The Human Stain in 2003 and a Feast of Love in 2007. Uh, I'm not quite sure. A Feast of Love, I mean, it's got a Morgan Freeman, and it's got Greg Kinnear, you know, but uh, I don't know. It didn't look doesn't look that good. Um, other than that, his writing is really what got him started. I mean, getting an Oscar nomination right out of the gate uh, for him and bon, uh, uh, and uh, his writing partner Bonnie Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, was quite a uh, great way to start. and Bonnie, uh, from there, Bonnie
1: and Clyde were not his writing partners.
0: No, that's not what... I know, that all came out rather uh, poorly. <laughs> it was just all no. at once. Oh. And now I
1: feel like he and his writing partner and Bonnie and Clyde are all together. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's you have fantastic. misrepresented the man.
0: He writes with Bonnie and Clyde. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, David Newman is the co-writer, and together they wrote Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) Is it better when I go slowly? It
1: is much better when you go slowly. (laughs) I'm getting old. My knees are breaking down.
0: There you go. There you go. Um, but, uh, I mean, he did a lot of other writing things. What's up doc Superman, I think is kind of a big one. The, uh, 1978
1: up with that. You know, I haven't looked at the credits, the writing credits for Superman in a long time. Uh, obviously Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster, Joe Schuster as creators, but, uh, Mario Puzo and David Newman and Leslie Newman and Robert Benton and Tom Mankiewicz, (laughs) a lot of people, a lot of like high end talent on this film. Um, I had never really uh, appreciated that.
0: I knew Mario Puzo was involved. It's uh, (laughs) it's so interesting. That is so
1: interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, quite an interesting breakdown for that one. Uh, Have Uh, you
1: ever seen uh, There Was a Crooked Man? I haven't. You should see that. Is it good? Mm, Kirk Douglas, Henry Fonda, Hume Cronin. Mm -hmm. Well, my memory of it is good. Burgess Meredith is in it. That's been a long
0: time. Did you did you see the Ice Harvest? That was a recent one he wrote in two thousand five.
1: Uh, the Ice Harvest that had uh, what's his name um, John Cusack. John Cusack, yes, yeah. yeah, and and you know what I um, that was I believe that was another one that was um, based on the Scott Phillips book uh, that I I like so much. The the book was I thought it was fantastic. So um, yes, I did see that one, and I remember liking it. I remember it was it was. Slower than I expected it to be.
0: Yeah, I remember liking it too, but I it but it obviously isn't one that stuck with me at all because yeah. I don't remember much about it.
1: That Harold Ramis to... directed it. I remember it being way out of context.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, for a
1: Absolutely. Harold Ramis film. Anyway. It, was. it uh, was. But Robert Benton. So, you know, in terms of this being a Robert Benton film, uh, it, it happened so early uh, in his career that I'm, uh, you know, I don't think he had much of a, of a tone yet. And to go from this to still the night, which I remember very vaguely, I remember it not being so good.
0: Well, I say, you know, between this places in the heart, nobody's fool. Those are three that I've seen, um, you know, all within the last, in, in the last couple of years, I'd say I, I remember all of those being, very much of the same feel. Very much character pieces. Um, was Places and, in the
1: Heart the one Sally Field won f- and, and said, you like me, you really like me?
0: No, she won for this late. year in, in Norma Ray in 79. Oh, uh, right. in, in that She's the one who, uh, if Meryl Streep had been uh, best actress in this year, they would have been up uh, against, against each, other. each other. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. No, but but Sally Field was in Places in the Heart with uh, Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. Ed Harris, John Malkovich.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but again, but you're right. Nobody's Fool is, was a, really, I enjoyed that one a lot. I, I didn't remember that one. This was the, man, this was the one I remember being shocked that Bruce Willis was in.
0: It's a, I thought it was a very, uh, just a nice character film. And I think that's what I classify Robert Benton as, is a character director. He's a guy who really works with his actors and gets them to create really honest characters. Um, I I don't know. That's what I've found in in at least these films. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It just seems to strike me that way.
1: Yep, yep. I agree. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about um, cinematography, can we? Nestor Nestor, Almendros. Yes. Now, he came on to this because he was expecting to work with a different director.
0: Francois Truffaut.
1: Yeah, that's right. And then Truffaut did not uh, join him. Correct. Was there like, uh, did you find any scandal?
0: I didn't. I just, I, I just found that Truffaut was just, you know, he, he was interested and then he's just kind of like, yeah, I really am interested, but I don't think so. Not right now. Sort of thing. Mm and um yeah, nothing that seemed scandalous um i am uh um wondering what it would have been like if uh Truffaut had directed it i think he's a very interesting director i really
1: yeah uh, do i do like him.
0: his films i'm looking in his uh, catalog right now it looks like at the time uh was he directing anything uh he did he had love on the run come out in 1979 so um, it's possible that, uh, you know, he was uh, busy kind of dealing with his own projects and just didn't have time. Mm.
1: Well, uh, Nestor Almendros, uh, he is another one from Spain, but um, uh, ended up moving to Cuba and uh, started uh, writing film reviews, studied film in Rome and ended up coming away with fifty nine cinematographer credits, and uh, he directed, uh, looks like a number of shorts and documentaries, but no feature uh, films. Hmm. Uh, but he also is behind uh, many films that we love, and in fact, we were talking about him tonight. He will, we will be talking about him again when we talk about Sophie's Choice. That's right. Uh, he is a delightful cinematographer. I, uh, I thought this was a. A wonderful sort of natural, uh, and I I think he did a good job in the frame of keeping us feeling warm in their home. And that was one of the things I think hit me very first shot after the shot of Meryl's face when they pull away and there's the, the red curtain or the red, you know, swatch of fabric over the lamp. Uh, that's kind of glows the room red. And I thought it was just, it just set the tone for me for the rest of the film. It was a, you know, in spite of everything that was going on, in spite of everything that the, the you know, these people were going through and all the emotion that they were feeling and on screen, the, I think they did an incredible job of keeping us feeling like we're in a place of warmth. Uh,
0: yeah. And it was interesting because he paired with, uh, Paul Silbert's production design and Ruth Morley's costume design. I thought they made a lot of really interesting decisions. I, I found it really interesting that pretty much every time Meryl Streep is on screen, she is incredibly beige. Like everything, like her wardrobe is just, like, just it's disappears almost like into classically things. Classically soft focus,
1: too. Like, yeah, yeah, it disappears into things, particularly when the handoff, they do the Saturday handoff, the uh-huh. first time he has to hand off Billy to, um, you know, to mom. And she is standing. They're in the middle of these kind of the the fall, not even fall, the winter kind of trees in Central Park. And she's just like not even there.
0: And and I think it's such an interesting way to depict her because it it speaks so much of her character. Yeah. Somebody who's there but not there. And. Mm. I I really liked that. It I just something I just kept noticing. Yeah, I think Nestor uh did an amazing job with the camera. I mean, he was nominated for an Oscar. Um it did go to Apocalypse now. Um and uh, Vittorio Storaro probably rightfully because, so. Because yeah, who are we kidding? Yeah, but uh but still I think Nestor considering the type of film this is really really did an, an incredible job creating the right feel for it.
1: My very favorite shot um, is such a there? Uh, it's the first shot where we see them going to court do you know the shot I'm talking about it's a shot out part of the building of her and her attorney walking into where we're, oh, we're yeah. standing in the rotunda and her and her attorney are walking toward camera and as they walk toward camera from the outside the camera tilts up very very slowly and it tilts up seemingly forever until we get all the way to the like the third floor balustrade, and uh, there is Dustin Hoffman standing there looking over the edge, and there's no sense that you can actually see uh, that he is watching them. It's not like a stalker kind of moment. There are a number of those in the film, uh, but it is one of those moments where you feel this sort of the the distance between them, and using the physical space in that courthouse, I think was really that is a, a beautiful brief segment that visually tells a, a significant story
0: yes absolutely
1: okay anything else on uh nestor
0: no i think that's it
1: all right who else is uh on anybody else on your list
0: um you know i think we've uh i think we've mostly hit it it uh did end up winning five oscars it won for best director, Robert Benton, best screenplay, Robert Benton, based on the uh, the novel, best picture, uh, and then best actor and best actress. And uh, I think all of them were well deserved. I mean, the, best supporting actress. Uh, best supporting yeah. actress, yes. Sorry. The um, the other pictures that were nominated, all that jazz, Apocalypse Now, Breaking Away, and Norma Rae. Um, it's interesting that uh, this film is uh, such a, a personal film and it, I, I don't know, I guess it just kind of speaks to the seventies that this was the type of story, even though the middle of the seventies jaws all of a sudden started shifting things and creating these kind of these big tent pole sorts of films that, uh, that studios would be clamoring for and now seem to uh, only be interested in. Um, there were still solid character films coming out. Um, years later so Mm -hmm. uh, I think it speaks well to that
1: how did it do in the box office
0: it this film did pretty well for itself it was quite the box office success the highest uh, highest uh, moneymaker of 1979 and uh, this film cost eight million to make uh, which in uh, today's dollars is about 25 million so I mean that's pretty good for an intimate little film like this Domestically, it ended up making just over $106 million, which is about $341 million in today's dollars. All told, um, it ended up making about um, $935,000 per finished minute, which in today's dollars is just over $3 million per finished minute. So definitely uh, did pretty well for itself. In adjusted dollars, it is number 20 on our list.
1: All right. Not bad. I think we should rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. And if you want to be like Ben Lott, you should actually register an account for your next reel activity. And then you should start ranking the movies we talked about. And let's see where your rankings come in with our rankings. You know what we need? We need like a tool. We need a tool that would aggregate. Like, you know, you could like put in here's my ranking for this movie and we could see what the what the range is. Don't you think?
0: A little flick charters uh, a poll of all of our listeners. Yeah,
1: yeah, that'd be cool. I wish I was smart enough to make that.
0: <laughs> that would be cool.
1: That would be awesome.
0: <laughs> Whoever uh, is smart enough to make that to touch base. Oh, to you should touch, touch bases
1: because that would be great, right? Where you could go in and you could just a little web tool, which it says what's your ranking of this movie, and it would go back and calculate, and here's the here's the spread, so we could see what the spread is uh, of like an aggregate spread of all of our listeners
0: see how right film. we are or how wrong we are cuz there are
1: a couple we've been oh man from uncle wow <laughs>
0: yeah i think we're we're going to we're going to fall on the wrong side I, of history on that one
1: i stand by our conversation i think people are given that <laughs> they are not are taking that far too seriously that movie yeah i, I stand agree. by it all right here's the thing this movie uh, i've said it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's wonderful it broke me as it broke you it's going to be it's going to be a hard one to rank
0: Yeah. it. Yeah. Well, let's see. Let's see. All right. right. Oh, wait, 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 wait.
1: wait. There's one point I forgot to make. The music.
0: That was the point. Oh, you got so excited about that.
1: Yes, because I hated the Cavatina, the Deer Hunter, and the classical. I just thought it didn't work at all. And this one I loved. I loved the use of classical music. And the thing I was thinking about you, that for me, it hit me like the volunteer's car driving through the map, but in a really good way was the theme song that is then, they're walking down the street, and it turns out the theme song is being played by the two street musicians, which yeah. I thought was so great.
0: That was a strange little choice. Yeah. It was such a great
1: choice. It was such a great nod and a wink kind of a moment. And so that that was my point. And I, I am much chagrined that you didn't bring up music, because that's kind of your thing.
0: I had it written down, and I just uh, I missed it. Yeah. All right. I got. I put everything aside because I was focusing on the Oscar stuff, I guess. I'm sorry.
1: I blew that for you. All right. Let's go on oh, and rank that's it.
0: That's okay. That's okay. Yes, let's rank it now. All right. All right. You ready? No, I'm ready. Kramer versus Kramer or Kind Hearts and Coronets.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Kramer versus Kramer.
0: I am too. Kramer versus Kramer for the win. Kramer versus Kramer versus <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: I'm doing. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with Sleepless in Seattle, but it doesn't pack the punch that Kramer versus Kramer does.
1: No, it really, really doesn't. And you know, here's the thing. I I as hard as it is to watch Kramer versus Kramer, we didn't even talk about the kind of emotional impact of the end. Right? Yeah. Like, our protagonist, if there is one in this film, wins. Yeah. Like, he gets to keep the boy. Right. And that's, like, the moment on the top of the Empire State Building where they touch for the first time. It's like you get that jolt, that, Magic. oh, yeah. man, that is a magical thing when they actually come to terms. And she says, how do I look? And he says, you look great. Terrific. Terrific, right. That, too. I'm sure he said, I'm <laughs> sure there were a lot of takes. Maybe I saw a different one. <laughs> I'm going to go with Kramer versus Kramer.
0: I, uh, You know, you just swayed me. <laughs> you really did. That's okay. Best, Kramer versus best Kramer. Best job I ever had. <laughs> Kramer versus Kramer versus Fight Club.
1: Fight Club. Hands down, no contest.
0: All right. I'll say Fight Club. Heavy Kramer up. versus Kramer versus The Descent. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have fun saying that.
1: Uh, I'm going to say Kramer versus Kramer.
0: I am too. As much as I love the descent. Kramer versus Kramer versus misery.
1: <laughs> uh Kramer versus Kramer.
0: Uh yeah, I agree. Kramer versus Kramer versus double indemnity. <laughs> um Gemini. I'm saying Kramer versus Kramer.
1: Okay. Alright, me too. Don't make me regret this.
0: kramer versus kramer versus sweet smell of success not the sweet smell of success (laughs)
1: i'm gonna do kramer versus kramer
0: me too kramer versus kramer versus ace in the hole
1: oh kramer versus kramer Ah, what are we doing ranking this against all these old movies
0: Uh, how did it end up in
1: that kind of a lineup
0: i know it's pretty interesting I, well, it's because we, we uh, you know, it's up, we kind of built a wall with Fight Club, so we're in all those ones that never have gotten past Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> all right. uh, ah, boy, ace in the hole. This is a, mm, I'm going to say Kramer versus Kramer. Okay. Uh, and there we are. Fight Club is number 25. Kramer versus Kramer, number 26.
1: That feels good to out, me.
0: Out of 199. <gasps> Wait. Wait,
1: does that mean next week is our 200th film?
0: Our 200th film, yes. Next week will be number 200. Wow. And it'll Man. be a film that neither of us have seen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who saw that coming? That was horrible planning.
0: <laughs> it really was horrible planning. This is, why would we do this to ourselves? We the, like the challenge, the... Pete. That's why. <laughs>
1: So that is this is our we should we should clarify because we've been doing this longer than that. Our this is the the two hundredth film, but it is technically our two hundred and forty first uh right. episode. episode. Yeah. All right.
0: That includes, like, you know, our couple Oscar episodes that we had way back in the beginning, our Ken Levine interview that yeah. just went live. Yeah, yeah. All of those count as as far as the episode numbers. But yeah, this will be the 200th film, and that's not counting the Film Board films.
1: Right. No, that's that is a different. Those we've we've only got like 37 of those, I think. But we just did Correct. 37 of the Film Board. Right. right. But in terms of episodes, the Film Board is included. Correct. Yes. So, Correct. if you're keeping track. I mean, we have a spreadsheet. We sh- we could share it if you want to know.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of mess on it's that. A, it's spreadsheet. a lot of mess. I do think we want stripes to
1: and green and stripes and columns <laughs> and a lot of hidden stuff and frozen things and,
0: and notes and and it would give away our, our, our <laughs> that's right <laughs> what we're talking about for the next three years.
1: <laughs> I had a I oh man I I had an idea for another kind of mini series. But I don't know what the actual series is. There's something there's gotta be something we do at the pony prize that's called the the precious pony. I wanna I wanna brand something as the precious pony. Can we find some some element that we brand?
0: Like a little tiny pony toy?
1: Yeah, well or a film, like what is your precious pony? I don't know, what does that describe?
0: Oh, like what is the precious pony for each of us? Yeah,
1: what's I don't know what that is. We have a guilty pleasure, so what's your precious pony? Maybe the guilty pleasure is actually another way of saying your precious pony. (laughs) (laughs)
0: wow okay Uh, i think we'll have to work on that one a little bit (laughs) all right all right
1: so we'll workshop it i mean that's okay we can take it we can poke holes in it it's all right i'm okay we'll workshop it you're good with it i uh (laughs) really gotta go to bed
0: all right i'm gonna go make some french toast in a cup
1: Mine comes, uh, it's a pretty recent one from 2014, uh, from Eben Lee, uh, one star. I just hate this movie. It's so dumb. Kid would never have to take the stand during an appeal trial. In an appeal, no new evidence is reviewed or witnesses called. Basic facts about the courtroom. Totally ruined the rest of the movie for me. Stupid.
0: Wow, must be a lawsuit student or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> so funny. I love well,
1: that the, the feedback is, you know, Dean 59 responds, it didn't come anywhere near ruining it for me, but that bit of melodramatic creative license did stick out to me when I first saw the film and its religion release. And actually, it's doubtful a judge would have required the child's testimony and blah, 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 my goodness, can we stop talking about the law? <laughs> 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 it's just too much.
0: You know, It's funny, we didn't even bring up that this movie is now cited, I guess, pretty regularly in divorce court when they're deciding who to give the child to. And this movie actually changed the precedent of giving the child um, automatically to the mother and they actually started looking at parents as both fifty percent having uh, equal rights to the child so yeah and that so. was that was
1: all I mean if you want to see that that's that's his monologue i mean it it really carries it in in you know and when he hits it takes a stand it is a beautiful monologue about parenthood and I think it's um I, I think it's terrific
0: absolutely yeah all right what's your but review? not not according to neb's student <laughs> Who says, typical 70s trash. We thought that we would be safe renting a PG movie, but true to 70s form, it should have been rated R. They show a woman completely nude. The description says that it is a movie about family values, but it is the furthest from family values. It portrays a woman leaving her son and husband behind because she, quote, isn't happy, end quote, and proceeds to show the husband sleeping around. Definitely not a family movie by any standards.
1: Sleeping around, they were divorced. Right.
0: goodness. Oh, my goodness. I
1: think they saw different movies. I like one one of the comments.
0: One of the comments for this person. Studies show that people from even the best families, families who attend church together even, are at some point in their lives completely nude. This begins at (laughs) birth and ends with death. Shocking, I know.
1: (laughs) That's pretty good. That is great. I fear the human form. No,
0: oh. I that's so funny. Ashley well, I give it 5 out of 5 stars. Madison. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you were saying? I give it 5 out of 5 stars. Oh, I it's
1: definitely a 5-star movie for me. Excellent. Yeah.